what's going on? Welcome to the show. It is Monday. Thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me be a part of your day. Pete Callender here, News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. And you can also uh, send me your emails of deep thoughts and commentary at Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. So, Novant Health in New Hanover Regional Medical Center. They've issued a statement now after a video of an internal discussion on how the hospital reports its COVID-19 patient count got leaked onto social media. Have you seen the video? You probably have. Just over two minutes, and the video has now sparked a heated discussion online. And now I guess on the radio, although we're not really heated yet, yet, yet. Okay. With many pointing to the conversation as proof that hospitals have been falsifying or artificially inflating case counts. One of Mary conspiracy theories circulating as health officials report record case counts in many parts of the country. This is, by the way, according to WECT television. The video begins with the hospital's director of marketing, Carolyn Fisher, explaining what information the hospital provides in terms of COVID-19 numbers with specific mention of the percentage of unvaccinated hospitalizations. Okay, I by, by the way, yes, I have the audio. We shall play it. So you're going to hear the director of marketing, Carolyn Fisher, and she is going to start off talking about what information the hospital provides in terms of COVID numbers, and then specifically the mention uh, she will make of the percentage of unvaccinated hospitalizations. The dashboard and how it's set up myself, as far as how we get information out to the community on meaningful numbers, we do that on a weekly basis. So that's on our website, and we've been sharing that through social channels as well, particularly those graphics that show the number of patients in house, the percentage of them that are unvaccinated, the percentage of unvaccinated people in the ICU and the percentage of deaths and the numbers. So those are numbers that we put out as far as we don't get into details of floor. Right. Those other numbers are certainly out there. All right. So let me stop right here. The next voice you're going to hear, female voice, if I may make that assumption about one's gender, Dr. Mary Ruddick who previously served as chief of medical staff for Novant Health, uh, New Hanover Regional Medical Center. She responded, well, here, you can listen. I I guess my feeling at this point in time is maybe we need to be completely a little bit more scary for the public. Then there's another comment, as I completely agree, there are many people still hospitalized that we're considering post-COVID, but we're not counting in those numbers. So how do we include those post-COVID people in the numbers of the patients we have in the hospital? All right. I think this is important here. She is saying we need to be a little bit more scary because people who recover and her argument, and by the way, there is truth to this, right? People who recover end up with long COVID. They have debilitating ailments that persist for years after or or months, I guess, at this point, because it has, well, it might have been a year, but not two. Um, But they're going to have... 
uh, complications and they are impacted by COVID for God knows how long afterwards, right? Long COVID and, and the, uh, the side effects. She wants those numbers to be included in the numbers of cases of unvaccinated. In other words, if you're unvaccinated, you get COVID, you go to the hospital, but you recover. She wants to make sure that that number is still somehow accounted for in their treatment numbers because we're still treating that person. They have long COVID, obviously, right? They they still have effects. They still have an impact on their health. And so the hospital system is still treating them. And this is, I think, a valid point, by the way. Um, I would also suggest that if you are going to start counting people uh, that were unvaccinated, got COVID, and recovered, I would humbly submit you count them towards the natural immunity pool. What do you what do you say? Is that a fair trade off? Right. How about more data? How about more truthful reporting, more nuance, more complexity? How about some of that? Right. Rather than trying to juice the stats, which it sounds like you're trying to do by only lumping the unvaccinated long covid survivors into the stress and drain on your system rather than uh, also including all of those same people who are now not going to be spreading COVID any longer, right? This is the frustration. This is the friction point. And I know it is very popular to just dismiss this as political and it's only the, the, the polarization. What can we do? I have some answers I can go over. I uh, will go over. There, I have some answers. If you are legitimately interested in trying to reach people that are unvaccinated, they're are better ways to do it than the way the media and uh, the health officials have been doing it. And this is, I only submit this because you obviously are asking for assistance. You, you, you apparently don't know how to reach these folks. And I have some suggestions because I'm a giver. I am all about solutions here. So uh, I, I, I put together some stuff for, I don't even know if Boomer's in there. Yes, sir. Oh, he is. Okay. Yes, sir. Right here. Very early. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, Boomer Von Cannon with a traffic update. All Go right. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Pete. All right. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right. So, this audio from this Novant Health New Hanover Regional Medical Center Zoom call that occurred. Uh, I guess I, I'm trying to find where the where the call uh, or when the call actually occurred. But it's a two minute video. It went viral. You've got the director of marketing, Carolyn Fisher, talking about what information gets posted up on their dashboard for the public to see. Dr. Mary Ruddick, who previously served as the chief of medical staff uh, for the uh, New Hanover Regional Medical Center, says uh, we need to be more scary. It's a direct quote. We need to be more scary, a little bit more scary for the public. She then proposes including patients that she characterizes as post-COVID to put them in the hospital case count. Because even though they don't have COVID anymore, they still have some of the side effects of COVID, of long COVID. And so they're still patients, don't you see? They're still cases, if you will. Then there's a fella, Shelburne Stevens, uh, who earlier this year was named president of 
uh, the new Hanover Regional Medical Center and the Coastal Market. You'll hear his voice up next here. But so the three, you've got two women and a man. You've got Carolyn Fisher, the marketing woman. You've got uh, Dr. Mary Ruddick saying we should be a little bit more scary. And then you're going to hear a dude, and it's Shelburne Stevens. That all the people who have been in the hospital since the beginning of COVID? Well, or that are still in it. And that's something that I can take to someone else. But I think those are important numbers. The patients that are still in the hospital, that are off the COVID floor, but still are occupying the hospital for a variety of reasons. Okay. Carolyn, we call those... I'm sorry, we, we're calling those recovered now. If you look at yeah. the Navant Health dashboard, they're listed as recovered. But I do think it, from our standpoint, we would still consider them a COVID patient because they're still healing. Yeah. So I think that that needs to be highlighted as well. Yes. Because once they're off isolation, they drop from the COVID numbers. That's exactly right. Kellen, we can talk offline and yeah. how we run that up to marketing and right so i'm just going to say carolyn i think we have to be more blunt we have to be more forceful we have to say something coming out you know you don't get vaccinated you know you're going to die i mean let's just let's just be really blunt to these people i mean that's not true you see that's the problem that's not true i'm on board because i understand like when you're trying to create a dashboard what data goes in how do you classify people like this is essentially sort of like an administrative kind of a discussion that they're having because I think it, it does make sense, right? If I go in, I get COVID, go into the hospital, and uh, I I recover, but I am no longer, you know, actively fighting COVID. Now I just have, you know, I'm, I'm going through physical therapy. I've got, you know, some dialysis going on. I've got all of these other things happening to me that they're helping me with. They're they're treating. So should that be a COVID case count number, or should it not be? If they're still in the bed and they went in there because of COVID. And then they got sick. See, this is the problem. Remember at the beginning of all of this, when people, the famous example was the, the guy who died in the motorcycle accident, remember? And he had COVID after they found out, like when he, they tested, I guess, his remains and they found out he, he had COVID. And so he got counted as a COVID death. That's just one example. The, the famous one that went viral, whatever. Um, this is the problem. When, when you don't know how to classify things and you're inconsistent in the standards, you open the door for people to now argue by anomaly. They're able to take a single example and say, well, well see, this, this is proof that like we can't trust any of these other things. That's part of the problem. And so if you're going to uh, count these folks who are still recovering, they don't have COVID any longer, but their afflictions are due to COVID, so they're still in the hospital, I'm fine counting them as uh, a bed for the sake of, you know, uh, uh, doing a tally of uh, who's in the beds and what did they come in for? Because the consistent standard would be that you should. You should count everybody because, right, they've, they had COVID, they went in for COVID, now they beat it, they're recovered, but they're still taking up a bed. So obviously Dr. Ruddick wants to count that number, though, for what? For the scare factor. Yeah, she's, she wants it for a marketing uh, reason. She wants the PR. She wants to be able to scare people with the data point that, you know, hey, the COVID case counts are still really, really high. And she says, quote, you don't get vaccinated. You know, you're going to die. And that is not true. It's not true. Because if that were true, how many 
what, now tens of millions of people, hundreds around the world, would be dead. Right? They would be dead. And they're not. People have gotten COVID and recovered. Furthermore, if you are going to try to use this as a standard in your dashboard, then you need to be including the people who recovered, don't have any long COVID symptoms, and they are now immune. And by the way, here's a little hint. If you're trying to talk to the unvaccinated and you're trying to get them to get the shot, then the first thing you need to do is ask them, have you had COVID? And they need to be able to answer that. And I don't mean like, yeah, I got sick back in, you know, November last year or two years ago. And I, I totally think I had it. Like, no, you need to actually go get the antibody test. You need to find out, did you actually have COVID? And if you did, then you can make a case, I think, that you are immune. And in fact, you've got better immunity than you would get with the shots. Because with the shots, and this really goes to the heart of the persuasion campaign and why it's not working anymore, is because... People who got vaccinated did so, as I did, under the belief that we were going to get to herd immunity through vaccines and through natural immunity, people who recover. Um, But that once I get the vaccine, I can no longer get it and I can no longer spread it. That has now borne out to not be true. And if that's not true, what's your case? The only case that remains is that your symptoms will be less and you'll be more likely to survive if you do get it, which, by the way, to me, is a compelling case. That is a persuasive case to me. So if I had to decide right now whether to get the vaccine or not, I would decide the same way I decided. Uh, I don't even know how many months ago. I guess I need to learn. I guess I need to go back and figure that out, though. Go check my date because here come the boosters. So I, I would make the same call. Because to me, the risk assessment of catching COVID and dying from it is higher than having a problem with the vaccine. That was my risk assessment. That was it. That was very simple. Now, at the time, they told me this would prevent me from getting COVID and, and, um, and prevent me from spreading it. This is the way we get back to normal. So there was that whole sales pitch, too, which I believed them on that because they were the experts. And now they were, turns out they were wrong which, by the way, does undermine their credibility. Yes, it does make me less likely to believe them. Yes, but also I understand that everyone is kind of trying to figure this out. And so one of the biggest problems, I think, in the last year and a half is that the experts have not been willing or interested in noting to us when they got something wrong. If you got it wrong, just say, you know what? We thought it was going to do this and it didn't do it. Yeah, we're, we're checking into it because, man, yeah, that really stinks. But instead, what do we get? We get just, well, you really need to get it now. You really need to get it now. You need to get vaccinated to protect the vaccinated. This is the argument that we were treated to last week in order to distract us from the Afghanistan failure on the 9-11 20th anniversary, right? This was the pitch that... We have to protect the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. And that doesn't make sense. Unless, of course, you're telling me that the vaccine doesn't work. Are you telling me the vaccine doesn't work? Because it seems like you're kind of telling me the vaccine doesn't work. I thought the vaccine worked. You've been telling me that it was going to prevent me from getting it and spreading it. And that didn't turn out to be right. But you're telling me now that it's still okay because why? It will minimize the impact it has on me. And again, I still say yes, 
the risk of catching something or uh, the risk of some sort of uh, you know negative side effect from taking the vaccine, that to me is not as bad of a risk, not as high of a risk as catching COVID and dying from it. For my cohort, for my comorbidities, for me, my personal risk assessment. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I've also got uh, a breaking story here on the AP Wire, of all places. I mean, that is where a lot of breaking news tends to live. But um, an international group of scientists is arguing the average person does not need a COVID-19 booster yet. An opinion that highlights the intense scientific divide over the question. What? What? There's a scientific divide over this question? And it's intense? I had no idea. It's the first I've learned of it. And I follow the news pretty closely. Two of those scientists are top U.S. vaccine regulators raising questions about whether White House plans for booster doses are getting ahead of the government's own experts. The group analyzed a long list of worldwide studies and concluded that the shots still work well despite the extra contagious Delta variant. Their opinion piece was published Monday, today, in The Lancet, the medical journal. The average person doesn't need a COVID-19 booster yet. Um, The experts reviewed studies of the vaccine's performance and concluded that the shots are working well, despite the extra contagious Delta variant, especially against severe disease. Quote, even in populations with fairly high vaccination rates, the unvaccinated are still the major drivers of of transmission at this stage of the pandemic. Now, um, this is one of the other things I talked about this with the wisdom of crowds. And I've, uh, you know, the example that was given to me by a fellow named uh, uh, Jonathan Tammany, uh, who wrote a book when politicians panicked. And he talks about how, uh, you know, you fill a baseball stadium and you put Anthony Fauci in there and he may be the smartest person in that stadium. I know, I know, but this is just an example, but he may be the smartest person in that stadium, but he's not smarter than everybody else in the stadium together, right? When you pool all of those tens of thousands of people, you put them together, their intelligence, what they know is going to be superior than a single individual. And this is why you need people making different decisions because we now get feedback, we get data, we get information, right? The the key here is to adapt when you get the new data. And so, Uh, You know, for example, when the vaccines turn out to not actually prevent the spread and uh, when they do not actually help to um, uh, prevent people from uh, contracting it and then having it in their body and it just makes it, you know, less lethal, which, again, is a reason for me, at least, to get the vaccine because it's less lethal. But if you're not willing to adapt to that new information and change the messaging, you're not going to get people to believe you. You're not going to be able to persuade them. So on this issue of natural immunity, right, Dr. Fauci was actually asked about this on CNN. I played this late in the show on Friday, but he was asked about this on CNN. This is the first time I've ever heard anybody ask him about the uh, the natural immunity question. He was on with Anderson Cooper and uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta uh, and uh, Dr. Gupta asked Fauci about this natural immunity question. Will it play? Will it play? And just, and just real quickly, um, 
There was a study that came out of Israel about natural immunity, and basically the headline was that natural immunity provides a lot of protection, even better than the vaccines alone. Um, how, what, are, what are people to make of that? So, so as we talk about vaccine mandates, there are, I get calls all the time. People say, I've already had COVID, I'm protected, and now the study says maybe even more protected than the vaccine alone. Should they also get the vaccine? How do you make the case to them? You know, that's a really good point, Sanjay. I don't have a really firm answer for you on that. That's something that we're going to have to discuss regarding the durability of the response. The one thing the paper from Israel didn't tell you is whether or not as high as the protection is with natural infection, what's the durability? We don't know the durability of the vaccines, though, man. This is astounding to me. It really is. How is it possible that at this stage of the game, you still don't have an understanding about natural immunity. How is that possible? How are you trying to persuade people when you don't have a key piece of information that they are citing as the reason why they don't want to get vaccinated? Because they're getting lumped into the group that is vaccine refusals, right? You got people who are like, well, I, I haven't gotten COVID, but I refuse to take the vaccine because these are the reasons. And I'll go over some of those. But then you have this other cohort that's, I don't want the vaccine because I already had COVID. Now, maybe a lot of those people wouldn't get the vaccine anyway, and maybe they would also be in that initial group that I, that I mentioned. But you have, to, you have to address people's concerns and arguments that they're actually making, not yours. And this is what the left and the media, but I repeat myself, this is what they've been doing for so much of the pandemic. They, they cast an argument upon their opponents. They believe their opponents believe something. And then they argue against that. And a perfect example is in this piece, this editorial piece, or this, uh, I guess, uh, this columnist. She's new, hired at the Charlotte Observer, Sarah Pequeño. And um, she's, well, I mean, her resume screams lefty. Which I'm as shocked as you are that, that McClatchy would hire a liberal to write columns. I know an opinion piece by a leftist. That's crazy. And her headline or their headline that they gave her piece is maybe we should change how we talk to Mayberry about the COVID vaccine. Yes. Yes, you absolutely should. And you should start by listening to what they say and then addressing those arguments, not conjuring up your own arguments that you think that they believe because that's what you're doing. For the most part, that's what you're doing. And this piece is a perfect example of it. I will get to it first. Let me jump over here to Curtis. Hello, Curtis. Welcome to the show. How are you? No, oh, hang on. Let me put you back on hold. You got him? All right. Hang on. Hang on. Yep. All righty, Curtis. Welcome to the show. Hey, uh, great job. Wonderful. Chris, uh, great, great topic. First off, uh, I'm a 55-year-old white male military veteran. I have been vaccinated my entire life. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I actually went to chicken pox parties when I was a kid. Uh, to get infected by kids that had chicken pox, and then we developed natural immunity. Uh, back in February, uh, I was infected, unbeknownst to me, with COVID. I didn't find out until March when I gave blood at One Drive, the One Blood Red Buses. Right. They test for COVID, uh, and I came back for positive antibodies and have tested positive ever since. And I've had hangovers that hit me harder than COVID did. Right, but that doesn't mean that, every, uh, obviously that does not mean that COVID doesn't 
hit people differently. It absolutely does, just like alcohol and hangovers affect people differently. Exactly. I I totally agree with that. So now I refuse to get this shot because it's not technically a vaccine. They roll this out. They don't even put the ingredients on the insert in the... uh, and the documentation with the vaccine. And back in the swine flu, when it first came out, they had 50 deaths and they pulled the vaccine. We've had thousands of deaths and adverse reactions, and no one is doing a thing about it. And I'll end with this piece, which is the battle cry of the leftists, uh, my body, my choice. Yeah. And they're violating the Nuremberg by trying to force me to take a unproven, untested kill shot. So first, okay, I would disagree with that classification. Kill shot? That's kill shot. Why would you call it that? Because it contains ingredients that are known to be deadly to humans, graphene oxide being one and of them. Why, well, all right, so hang on a second. How do you know the ingredients if they didn't publish an ingredient list? Because there were some Spanish researchers that got vials of the various vaccines and they broke them down. And you could uh, research Dr. Uh, uh, David Martin who discovered the patents. If you want to Google him, he's got a lengthy expose on the patent process behind the mRNA vaccine, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. uh, along with several other top-known doctors, frontline doctors being one of them. Right, so why do you but, call it the kill shot? Because there's, it's been killing people. People have died as a result of taking this shot from adverse side effects. You, you, that but that also happened, you recognize that that also happens with other vaccines exactly yeah and 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 the difference here is that they pulled those vaccines once they reached a certain threshold well there are people but there are people but you don't know what the threshold is are you going to cite VAERS I'll cite VAERS right but VAERS is not but VAERS doesn't prove that but VAERS doesn't prove that VAERS is the system that proves uh, death and adverse Uh -uh. reactions no no it doesn't it proves no no hang on Curtis this is important hang on Curtis 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 hang on I I think it is critically important for people to understand because you made the assertion that thousands and thousands of people have died. And I will give you credit because you said have died, but also had adverse reactions. So when you put those two groups together, yes, there were adverse reactions. Now, what are those adverse reactions? Well, it could be anything from symptoms that people experience like they felt like you felt like a you know mild hangover or whatever they they felt draggy or whatever they could go and report that to VAERS because VAERS no, no, no I didn't have the vaccine I'm not I'm saying when you had, had COVID. COVID right when you had COVID so people can have symptoms like that they can have an experience like that after they get the shot and that could they could then go and report that to VAERS VAERS doesn't do any kind of confirmation process of that Right. So if somebody dies after VAERS and somebody then says, oh, they died from the shot, that just goes into the system. There's not a verification process. Now, I think that that speaks to a demand for a better process, for better data collection. So the VAERS system is an open access system. What does that mean? It means that reports get submitted but not verified before they become public. So anybody can submit reports. And so if you have, you you know, you go out, you get the vaccine shot, and then the next day, you know, you, you start feeling really crummy and uh, you go into the hospital and they diagnose you with some sort of like heart ailment. You're like, well, that, you know, that's obviously due to the shot. And you could submit a report. It goes into the system. And then that becomes a data point. Now, the problem there is that it's not proven. Right? We don't know, did the shot actually do that to you? Was it coincidental? Seriously. And if you're, what I find 
very frustrating is that the people who were, hey, let's count all of the motorcycle accidents who, you know, that killed somebody and they happened to have COVID in their system. Let's count that as a COVID death. Right. And then there was backlash against that. The people who are engaged in that backlash now seem to be interested in doing the exact same kind of data manipulation using VAERS. A disclaimer on the website specifically says the reports alone cannot be used to determine if a vaccine caused or contributed to an adverse event or illness. Because these are just people that are submitting essentially complaints, right? You're reporting it. Now, if you have a huge cluster of something, it can alert, you know, the federal uh, authorities and they can like start looking into an area. That's what it's supposed to be about. But anybody can tell I mean, this happens whenever you, you know, you start, you open up a tip line, for example, you open a tip line looking for a suspect on the loose. Anybody who's watched a cop drama knows what happens with those. You get lots of people who call in and they don't have the, they don't have the goods, right? They just, for whatever reason, they think they saw something or they want to be in the news or whatever, right? People make false reports, even if for innocent reasons, but it's not verified. The VAR stuff is not verified. And that's a pretty big deal, I think. Now, um, on the other uh, point about the uh, the patents, this is, he mentioned this guy, Dr. David Martin, and honestly, the most, uh, the number one hit that you pull up is from a website, Vaccine Impact, uh, who calls it all a pandemic, and uh, they have other links here talking about identifying the Luciferian globalists implementing the New World Order. Who are the Jews? Insider exposes Freemasonry as the world's oldest secret religion, and the Luciferian plans for the new world order. So that's the kind of site that is trafficking in this kind of material. I'm not saying that the idea is automatically to be dismissed because it happens to be populated on all of these kinds of websites. This is part of the problem when legacy outlets refuse to address the arguments head on because you're afraid of what the answer might be, or you're not equipped. Maybe you're not equipped to answer the question. I don't know, but when you go in and you look at what the arguments are, like this argument is, well, the patents have been around for 20 years. Yeah, they were they were doing research on this stuff for a long time. That's why the vaccine was ready to go, because like this isn't SARS-CoV-1, SARS-CoV-2, right? There have been other coronaviruses. And they're like, well, it's been used as a, and his argument is that this is all a bioweapon. It's not actually... Uh, like a naturally occurring kind of virus. This is a bioweapon. That's why he couldn't get vaccine patent approval. Does that change? Does that change anything about the vaccine, though? Like, I would be very curious to know if it's a bioweapon as well. Sure. But that's a separate question. In fact, it actually would inspire me to get the vaccine more so because if it's a bioweapon, well, I don't want to be killed by the Chicoms. Right? I know that like these are my thought. This is the way my mind operates. This is my process. I run through these things. I'm like, okay, well, what are you actually saying? Let me look into it. I look into it. I'm like, okay, I don't believe that. It's not persuading me. It doesn't seem that doesn't seem like the Occam's razor explanation that it's the most obvious and simplest explanation. All right. Uh, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Let me go over here to Sandy. Hey, Sandy. Hey, P, how are you? Hey, I'm well. Welcome to the hey. show. Um, so I had a physical in um, August of 2020 and um, assumed that I had the virus back in December of 2019, just from different symptoms and stuff. And so I asked for, 
the antibodies test as part of my blood test, and it showed up positive. Mm. And then again, my physical this year, I asked for them to run the test again, and it was still positive for antibodies. So, you know, there's some, it's definitely worth looking into, and it seems like it lasts a lot longer than they first suspected. And I mean, I know I'm only one person, but, you know, it's interesting. Right. Well, and here's the thing, is that your case would indicate that natural immunity is fairly durable, which, by the way, that's what other research has shown as well, that it is durable. But also, if you're already comparing natural immunity to the vaccines and they're already talking about people needing booster shots and it's only been, you know, eight months, well, then it seems like natural immunity is going to be more durable than the vaccines. Yeah, it seems. Yeah. It would be nice for them to do some kind of study just to, you know, see how feasible it is. I agree. Absolutely. And and they lose their credibility when they don't address this uh, because people who did get sick and have now recovered are now being told to go get the shot and they don't need it yeah. because because they have what's essentially better, I would suspect. Right. Because this is what vaccines are meant to mimic is the actual uh, antibodies. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, I just want to share that interesting uh, yeah. information with you. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks, okay, Sandy. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. I have emails as well that have come into Pete at the PeteCalendarShow.com. So your chance to weigh in after the news. Dr. John, stay on the line. I'll get to you up next.